Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Hey everybody, it's Adam Ray and Brad Williams for the About Last Night podcast. Another special episode. We're touring now essentially with this. We're going into people's homes. Yeah, we're, we're two invading for two. them. Two for two on going into uh, big comedians' homes and interviewing <laughs> them. And I think, uh, I mean, th- today's episode is um, shit, man. It- it's-, it's super uh, incredible to me because uh, we interviewed a guy uh, who-, who kind of uh, is responsible for me Seeing stand-up as something that was both uh, intimidating and inspiring, but I saw him do it so incredibly and so um, masterfully that I was like, yeah. I want to do what he's doing. And that guy is none other than Carrot Top. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's Dane Cook. Dane, Dane Cook, Cook, everyone. Uh, arguably the biggest star in stand-up over the last 10 years. No, you know what? The, the, Madison the, Square the biggest Garden. star in One of six comedians to sell out Madison Square Gardens. Multiple arenas. Across the country, just a huge star, uh, once again, invite us into his home. And uh, we never really have intentions about what we want to do with the podcast. We just kind of, we just kind of let, it, we kind of prep a little bit, but yeah. we never know exactly where it's going to go. We have a map of like what we want to ask people. We wanted to sure. get, and we definitely did. We got into his beginnings in stand up, um, hosting SNL. Some incredible that, Saturday Night Live that, stories. Uh, incredible. The whole, his whole rise during that mm-hmm. time of, of, of gaining fans and going into clubs and, ha- and being the new guy and, and what that was like versus now where he's, you he's know, the, going he's in and he's been around and, and, and he talks about the, very candidly, the break he took uh, because of some of the shit he went through with his um, uh, had to put his brother in jail and his folks dying within six months of each other yeah. and not really uh, hadn't up until that point experienced grief and loss like that and how it shaped him and, and how um, how who he is today and how he how E.T. inspired him <laughs> to get into fucking show business. Which um, it's an incredible story. So he said he was never told. Yeah, he wasn't planning on telling that. And then we sort of walked in. We described the Hollywood Hills and. Off we went, sure. and uh, a comic through his use of social media uh, has taught change the game. Yeah, has taught all comics how to use social media in terms of how to get, uh, get yourself out there, get your fan base together. So we every, every comic owes this guy something. Uh, yeah, and you know what? All the bullshit and hate uh, that he uh, experienced is just you know par for the course of someone who got as big as you could possibly get. And, uh, and hey, man, again, another person that we've had minimal conversations with both mm-hmm. at comedy clubs and gotten more chummy. And, and like I said, man, to, to be on shows with him now is like a fucking huge honor. And uh, yeah. so to then be in his home and be interviewing him on our show. Um, and I feel like now, I mean, again, you just you, you really get to know somebody through doing uh, this show, man, it's yeah. one of the perks for us that to to now become. Uh, I feel like shit again. That like it is really cool that we do get to meet our heroes and not just meet them and have the normal hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. Pleasure to meet you. Whatever. We are getting to know people, and yeah. I think we really got to know Dane uh, within this conversation. And uh, I think he got to know us a little bit, and we had we had a great time doing it. So. Show runs about an hour yeah. thirty. But yeah. you know what? Uh, Worth it. Yeah, I would not. Uh, I would not go to the Olive Garden over this. <laughs> well, An hour and 30 is about the appropriate time to spend uh, at the Olive Garden, yeah. too. Well, now, now we're going to lose them as a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back to Chili's. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, but, but, uh, but Dane brought it on this episode. It's, it's by far one of my favorite episodes uh, to, to sure. date. I mean, again, so many laughs uh, and, uh, and a lot of backstory from a guy who um, 
who he's seen it all. <laughs> he's yeah, he's seen it all. Yeah. He's he's met everyone, and he's had the experiences as a comedian that we all strive to have. And, and the voice of Dusty in the new Disney film Plane. Sure, voice of Dusty. He's got a brand new tour coming out, so he'll be coming to a city near you. And uh, but before you see him on tour, you can listen to him right now yeah. on the About Last Night podcast with Mr. Dane Cook. Well, the weekend's over, so it's time to chat about it. Got a midget and a Jew, so why don't you sit down and listen to a no podcast during lunch, dinner, or breakfast? Brad Williams and Adam Ray are here for you any time of the day. So come on and treat yourself right. It's about last night. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the About Last Night show, taking the show on the road for a second week. On the road. We are now uh, in, we coming wow. to you live. Maybe the nicest house I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life, quite honestly. Casa de Dane. <laughs> is it, does anybody else call it that? Welcome, gentlemen. That's how you have to talk when you have a nice house. <laughs> yeah, you, you really do. You're like, yeah. I mean, you kind of did when you, came, when you first we walked up, you definitely extended your arms. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's like, you almost want to have like theme music when people come over. Like something <laughs> diabolical. <laughs> Gentlemen, I bring you here for a reason. <laughs> You're stroking a cat for no reason. Yeah. When did I get a cat? I have an attache case. <laughs> <laughs> Always talking about how Inspector Gadget is fucking wronging you in some way. I'll get you next time, Gadget. Wow. Next time. It definitely they, has that aura to it, especially with the um, the uh, hedges so high. It's definitely Yeah, the tall ficus. Yeah. <laughs> Privacy, Adam. Okay? You know. I remember as a young child saying, geez, Mom, if we just had a few more high ficus around this <laughs> edifice. Maybe, maybe, maybe the cool kids would finally invite me to eat lunch with them. If only we could have a ficus. Mom. Well, listen, Come this on. Is, let, you know, let's just talk about this for a second because as comedians, we live in dumps yeah. for a long time. Oh, yeah. So you know, I think it's always that thing of like, okay, when I do pretend I'm grown up, <laughs> then I'm going to have myself a house someday. And also, right. somebody's going to tell me that... Um, uh, somebody in, in, in accounting is going to be like, you know, you're throwing money out the window with this apartment. You might as well. Right. So Upgrade. people then kind of circumvent you into buying a house, and then suddenly somebody's saying, well, you got to have high ficus because <laughs> it's just everyone's it's having 20 grand. Yeah. If you're getting the, <laughs> everyone's doing the it. built in ficus. Right. And then as you're pausing, going, ah, I don't know if that's necessary, there's somebody else who just peeks their head into the office door and says, it's all a write off. <laughs> Ultimately, it's saving you. By the way, that was strategically rehearsed, by the way. Yeah. They were like, a, all right, when Dane shows that. apprehension towards the ficus, just put, pop your head out a little bit <laughs> and say, you know, it's just a... But it really is like how many... Play- when I first moved to L.A., I lived on um, Hacienda, okay. uh, right above Barney's Beanery. Oh, shit. Okay. Still okay. a great area. Right up, right up the street from there. Good yeah. area, yeah. but still the apartment that I... I lived in one of the apartment buildings where... Um, you know when the elevator is so... You can swear on your show, right? Whatever oh, yeah. yeah. Everything. Uh, uh, it's, it's such a shitty, shabby elevator that... And you don't want to touch the buttons that you, like, pick a stick up from outside <laughs> when you go in and you remember. Oh, just God. just something. Or you, you, you ask a passerby to press the anything. button for you. Just some kind glove. of implement to actually hit Jesus. a button without you using. You have a mitten for simply that purpose. <laughs> you just just like, oh, no, this is my, this is my elevator mitten. In the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Wait, so if, when, it, when did you then uh, move into this well, no, first of all, it, when you oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I, that was like '97 right. when I first kind of really settled out here. So I was at on Hacienda for I don't know, like a year and a half. Right, but 
but I would then walk to the Laugh Factory, mm-hmm. and it was because um, it's it's right near. Yeah. For those of you who are um, use your Google Maps actually as <laughs> as we're speaking. Zoom in, and if you're at home, speedery. that's drink two every day. Cook uh, time he says Google Maps drink two at home. So I would walk by this other building, very famous building called the La Fontaine. Oh yeah, you know where that is. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's also West Hollywood sure. corner, like Crescent Heights and Fountain. Right. And it was a very famous building that I happen to know um, Belushi lived in, mm-hmm. Steve Martin lived in. Jesus. So I that would walk history. by that every day and be like, I want to I wanna live in this fucking building because it's got good – the juju yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever yeah. they want. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's what they said. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately I, I ended up meeting the, the manager there, and I spent 11 years in that building. Oh, uh, living in Belushi's uh, last apartment. The last what? apartment Belushi had when he, he died up at the um, Chateau. Yeah. But th- I lived in his last apartment building for 11 years. Did you request that? Or like did it, like as soon as it got open, you're like, I have to be here? No, or? it was the only place that was open. And uh, I loved it the minute I walked into the apartment. I mm-hmm. couldn't believe that I – I couldn't afford it, first of all. that I, I remember that. I talked to them and talked to everybody into like giving me the opportunity. But I remember uh, day one, moving in there – um, really not being in a, in a place to actually be able to afford it. And I remember they said, uh, by the way, Belushi lived here, and uh, Bette Midler lived here for a number of years, wrote Jesus, Wind Beneath My Wings geez. here. Like, people that were in comedy and right. in the arts. Um, Jesus, the girl who played Cherry on Punky Brewster lived in my apartment building. So <laughs> you, is, you definitely fucking beat me. Stop dropping names, <laughs> Adam. Jesus. You get one movie under a belt, look at you. <laughs> That, it happens, of a bitch. man. Now, uh, <laughs> as so we, anyway, so I lived there, yeah. and literally day one, last thing is, that yeah. I remember they, you know, gave me the keys and kind of like welcome to the building, and 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 when they cl- closed the door, it was the first time in my life, career, on my own, where I was like, if I don't, I need to live up to this place. I need to work hard enough to wow. actually. I was just going to ask to make you inspire, yeah, yeah, and it was scary because, and it was good scary because I was like. Uh, I, I definitely don't deserve this at this point in my mm-hmm. life and career. I lucked out in getting into this, you know, which is a longer story, but basically everything kind of dominoed to me getting in there. But it was. Yeah, but the, you put yourself in a position to have those things happen, it, right? It made me work hard, and it, that place changed my life to the point where I actually had separation anxiety because I had done so many things in my career positively from there. Mm-hmm. I was scared to leave. No shit. Yeah, so you thought so you thought like maybe if you change the surroundings like you wouldn't create what you had created from there like 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 the themes wouldn't continue. Isn't it like you know how we're a little bit like ball players sometimes mm-hmm. where we get a little Yeah, we get a little superstitious on stuff and there's kind of like you know when you have your lucky shirt when you first started doing stand up <laughs> yes, like right. you know and for years I had like a Wait. Ren and Stimpy shirt <laughs> wow. and then when <laughs> somebody's like you got to stop fucking wearing that shirt then I cut a piece of it and had it in my pocket for like another 2 years <laughs> wow. you know we have those weird sure. little you know like Adam's hair he always yeah, has yeah, to yeah. have it I know Perfect. the way you do it. I, like it's, okay, it's a blow dry with the with the round brush. Wow! Come on, he knows. Wow. Come on, man! Christ. Did you Google Earth me today? <laughs> but you know, we. Have I those... totally hear you though, because I just moved to two blocks from the factory, like in Laurel and Hollywood, okay. and I was living uh, next to Pink's for eight years. And I just moved two months ago. I've been there for eight years since I graduated from college out here. And there was, wow. a, I mean, on a much smaller scale, but like. I definitely had apprehensions to where I thought about everything that I did there, all, like all the videos, like like all the ideas I came up with, the fucking the bits I wrote, and I had a little bit of like shit. Is my new sin- surroundings not going to be conducive to sure. me being creative? Which is a weird thing to think, but 
Well, I mean, you do have a pool out there that has a lot of chicks sunbathing that kind of distracts you. A lot of you. chicks and a lot of Persian uh, men <laughs> with kids who I think they know. <laughs> and then there's also a, a couple Comedy of... Comedy fodder. This is all... <laughs> I see the sitcom coming together. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the guy, the guy so it's in... me and a Persian dad. <laughs> Are those his kids? It's probably not. box poolside. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that actually sounds like they would do that. Yeah, right. Uh, now, you were telling us a story when we walked in here that you wanted to live in the Hollywood Hills ever since you saw the movie E.T.? E. Yes. What about E.T. made you go Hollywood Hills? Cause I like- think E.T. Uh, you know, was the first movie that I saw that... I knew I wanted to be a comedian since I was a kid, but when I saw E.T., it was the movie that made me want to be a part of, like... At the entertainment Cinematic industry, yeah, yes, sure. okay. and all that shit. So it was like, just made I remember me want to eat Reese's Pieces. So I'm completely inspired by this. This is great. Do you know that Eminem uh, was offered that gig? They and they said that no. is a great piece of trivia, and that's fucking insane that they said no. <laughs> they said no. They said wow. no to this day. You know why? I don't know. They, now, they, do you th- now, obviously, didn't hurt their company, but like, you know. I mean, people think of ET and like, yeah, that's one of the, the first things pieces. I think of. <laughs> Unbelievable. And then, but anyway, the, not to get yeah. off on a tangent. What's your favorite uh, candy bar? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I mean, I, I just feel like as a midget, I have to bring up candies when, whenever I can. You know, just kind of, you know, yeah. just kind of goes with the. Brad thing. has a deal with um, what is it? Uh, <laughs> Mars, the little wafers, the the, the um, what are they called? The little, the little wafers, Smarties. Little wafers, oh, the little wafers. The little wafers show he's pitching the fox. <laughs> little wafers this fall. The little wafers. It's on the Food Network. <laughs> Wait, but is it a family that their last name is Wafers? From or is the it a makers, of dwarfs who just make wafers. From the producers of of the little chocolatiers comes the, the little wafers. And you always make them way too big, and your boss is like, "They're too big. The wafers are too big. They're not big enough for me." <laughs> oh boy, yeah, we don't even We're need Dan here for this track. Love it. All right. <laughs> All right, so you saw the movie, and what part when you saw you? Were, I think you said mentioned ET it. came through at one point, like he was looking through the shrubs or something. The ficus, the tall ficus. Wait, <laughs> oh wow. my god! Did Holy you even think about that? Shit! I never realized that. It he all comes full circle. I have these oh. bushes. <laughs> if you want to cry, it's okay. <laughs> I have many a nights. Man, but, um, That's all right. But I saw the movie, and I, I, I was like, uh, it honestly, without getting too uh, heady about it, I was like. Oh, I'm meant to live there someday. It was really not just like, oh, wh- where is that? That looks kind of. It mm-hmm. was just almost like um, I had seen a glimpse of my future residence. I really, honestly, was, and I've had those kind of moments in my life a few times where I see something and I'm like, oh, oh, that's reminding me. That's where I'm supposed to continue to go to. It's oh, wow. it's like a. Dr- it's how like do you being drawn how do you explain that? Is it is that uh, part of the whole like you visualize it? You see like what you want to attain and i fully believe in that stuff yeah yeah i mean my my if the secret or all yes. that kind of stuff yeah my mother was very much a uh uh an enchantress no uh, she was uh, <laughs> a gypsy. She, she's a soothsayer <laughs> and a gypsy. No, she uh she was just a person that really believed in like you know what you put out there yeah and sometimes in life there are signs and things that you see and don't be afraid to be like Oh, that is, uh, you know, that's meant to be a part of my path or whatever it was. So, yeah. Would it take those signs? She wasn't a hippie or anything like that. But, yeah, she was open to the idea that sometimes you can identify uh, the things that are meant to be in your life through books and films and conversations. And don't be afraid to take those things and be like, oh, yeah, that's. Do you think sometimes we're, we're trying to be too much in control? So, like, allowing yourself to be susceptible to, like, to seeing something and going, oh, shit, maybe I'm not supposed to do that because of. You know, I'm, I'm, I think it's, I, I think it's, it's, 
it's a journey we're all on to I, to start going like, what's the stuff that my alpha ego is like? I gotta have that. I right. want that. Mm-hmm. I, I need to fucking conquer that. Versus really identifying as men like um, that. That's within my pay grade, and that's like sure. what I deserve for myself with the hard work that I put in. So it, it was you know through many years of of. Uh, you know, just exploring kind of like your self-truth and, you know, not to get too Larry Moss on it all, but like uh, um, just really being able to identify things that symbolically you think uh, speak to you. But like if you were Um, on your way over to uh, audition for the role of Dusty in Disney's Planes, which is out in theaters right now. By the way, it was not an audition. They offered it to me. Let's be nice, Dane Cook. (laughs) Just so you know, Cherry from Punky Brewster was also up for the role. (laughs) Look at you go. (laughs) Uh, but if you were on your on your way to that, in all seriousness, and let's say you witnessed a mini plane crash, or like you, or there was a big something happened, and it was like front page CNN, would you see that and go, "Oh shit, I'm in a we- I don't know, somehow connect the dots." Probably to- not. Maybe right. like so in the moment. No, I'm not like a person that you know doesn't take a left because uh, yeah. you know I, I saw an accident on the left side of the road. Definitely sure. nothing like that. More long form of like, oh okay. Uh, you know, that's ultimately in many years what I would like to participate in. A film like that, right. uh, you know, I saw Animal House and was like, oh, I want to do an ensemble, like, I want to do an ensemble something, so I need to let, let my allow, allow myself to think those thoughts and be open and mindful right. of mm-hmm. those moments. Right. So I think it's just all about kind of being further in touch with your your actual abilities and skill set and what and and then saying i know i can do a b and c and that will equal d and not be afraid to say i will have d which means i'll continue to sharpen a b and c like if you were trying to decide whether to go between like you know hey let's go to denny's or let's go to ihop and like let's say two weeks ago you'd hooked up with a girl named grand slam susan you're like all right well then i'm going (laughs) then we're gonna go to denny's because the everything's connecting obviously that is absolutely where the signs are (laughs) That's where Ace of Base, I saw the signs, actually is playing on a radio oh my God. as you're driving down um, <laughs> Vista. I like using street names that nobody uses, by the way. Yeah. See, most people would say Sunset. No, yeah, I put no. us on Vista. Vista. Hey, man. It's he, perfect. It's there, too. How come it doesn't get any credit? It's always the big guns. It, so, you ha- so, so, so you have the ficus in from, e- from E.T. You're now living in the hills. And you, and you said you also have a Steven Spielberg story to... Follow that up, like Steven Spielberg's. St- well, yeah, because I left the theater. I remember I left the theater that night. A couple mm-hmm. of interesting things happened that night. My mother had taken me to CET. Uh, it was right near Christmas. We did not have a lot of money. We were like, you know, wel- welfare family, mm-hmm. and I was on free lunch tickets, all that kind of stuff. And I remember we left the theater, and it was such an impactful evening because the movie, like. Something transcended, you know. It was like one of those kind of moments where I, I couldn't sit down. Almost, I kept like I just wanted to move. Sure. And I was. Uh, it also was a movie in the uh, the timeline of uh, cinema history, like uh, you know, as like Jurassic Park was. It was kind of like changing, right? It was the first of its kind that was like that because yeah, it was like this huge epic. Um, that made kids think that like that. I don't know. It just. By the way, that's you. my chopper guy. So I'm gonna have to split in a couple of minutes. <laughs> I was gonna say, it's, <laughs> is that Batman sign yours too? Is it just, is I don't know silhouette what's going on tonight. I don't know if that's if that's reading on the uh, <laughs> audio, but um, so I see the movie with my mom, and I'm completely, you know, just uh, taken aback by it. And we leave the theater, and we're sitting on the uh, the porch of uh, the front uh, stoop of the movie theater. Like, I wanted to talk about the movie right away. Mm. So I'm sitting there with my mother, and I'm like, I'm like, what is this world, and where does that come from? And like. 
she's you know we're talking about Steven Spielberg and who's this guy and how did the, so it was just like this conversation about like destiny and how do you become that person with that vision and I remember saying like how do I entertain the world right. I remember having this conversation like Jesus, how do I entertain uh, the masses I want to entertain the you know groups of people and so we have this conversation it's it's certainly like a pivotal moment in my life as far as like uh and she was behind me on it like well let's start educating you on how you can move towards that and then a few minutes later our our car was stolen somebody had stolen the car with all the christmas gifts and all which my mother had spent and she had a, a panic attack she was like kind of a phobic woman my mother and she completely lost her shit in this uh you know everything was gone and it really almost scared me seeing her like that because yeah. she had so, we'd gone from this really wonderful like yeah. sure. more moment to seeing to this where's woman my slip and slide gone <laughs> everything yeah seriously yeah. probably was in the in the trunk at that point and wow. it was from that night where I really was like the per, it was like this perfect blend of um, information about entertainment and about dreams yep. and being able to follow a dream like this Steven Spielberg yeah. creature did mm-hmm. and when life really fucks with you in a way that's so compelling and brutal that you want to protect yourself to never have something like that happen again. So it was like, if I have those things from the movie, Mm -hmm. my mother and my family won't have to feel like everything is gone. I never wanted to feel that way again. Like I've lost everything. Yeah. Feel it. Yeah. Yeah. All in one night. Dude, that's bananas. That, that all, all, yeah. let, all How that often happen. do you think about that? That's like a not very. Just we started talking about Spielberg when you guys first yeah. came in, and you know, making fun of my ficus. And <laughs> <laughs> well, observing. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually asked you guys here to actually, actually trim them with me. <laughs> I, need, I need some manual labor. <laughs> And and that's not in Ficus Buddies, another show. There you go. And that's just going to be uh, Adam holding me while I, while I have the trimmers. Ficus yeah. Buddies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ficus Buddies. This could be the new TJF. Ficus Buddies and Wafer Brothers. Or what was it called? Little Wafers. Little Wafers. Little wafers. I already forgot. And Poolside. And <laughs> Poolside. This fall, get ready to get foxed. Yes. <laughs> now, do you, uh, you you talk so lovingly about your mother? Did you, did you come from a funny family? Where were, were you guys always joking around? I've talked about how uh, my parents were funny in very uh, opposite ways. My mother was uh, physical, mm-hmm. uh, self self deprecating, and like mm-hmm. not afraid to be, um, you know, kind of like put the. You know, put the, the I don't know, just put the she joke, take the piss yeah, out of take, herself. Yeah, exactly, take the piss out of it. And literally, sometimes she would take the piss out of herself. <laughs> she would reach into her pussy, put it in your lunch bag, <laughs> and she, it was already in a bag somehow in her. And she would take the piss out of herself. That's a great, that's a great bit. <laughs> oh my god, I, I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure Chelsea Handler's. You should try to see when she would shit on great. herself sometimes, <laughs> both in a funny way and in a, in a literal in a way. Medically way. She'd yeah. lay in a tub with her asshole facing the, the spigot. Um, by the way, I think we just found the opening scene to Little Wafer. <laughs> they called themselves the aristocrats. Uh, she was funny. My mother was funny. Uh, that's woman. super rare, by the way, to see a, a parent like introduce you to that type of comedy, right? Right. Oh yeah, yeah. No, she was funny and was also like uh, not afraid of language. She would, you know, f bomb and all that kind of stuff. She wasn't mm-hmm. afraid of like letting us watch comedy that was. Uh, you know, irreverent and all that. And then my dad and what was... what would that be? What would you watch? Oh, like, you know, Car- HBO's and, uh, you know, anything that was like, um, again, early Carlin or Pryor and, you know, hearing wow. hearing some of the, you know, crazy language that, you know, words that we'd never heard before. And so that's obviously like that. contributing to you getting, like, all this comedy influence, right? Comedy influence. If you didn't get to see that, I mean... Both on the side of... Well, comedy influence because even though I loved... Um, 
you know, like Johnny Carson's and stuff like that, like, you know, kind of like nightly entertainers, I felt mm-hmm. like, ooh, this is kind of the cool blue. I'm not supposed to be watching this. Of course. Because yeah. my dad was a little bit more uh, strict in that sense. But his humor was very, like, he was very, like, uh, dry, you could mm-hmm. say, but kind of like, uh, he had like a cool swagger, cool, like, but you didn't know until you knew him that he was being funny. Because gotcha. everything was so kind of deadpan. Gotcha. So that that mix really enticed me. I liked. And was he sparing with his like gems? He would kind of pepper things in, or would he like all the time be like dropping dry little nuggets? All the time to where it's like again, if you meet him, you know he had this really great speaking voice too. And it was I can't think of something he'd say, but sure. if he met you, he'd be like, uh, "Good to see you again, Adam. Good stuff. Yeah." <laughs> it was just like this real sure. direct tone to where you didn't couldn't really tell when he was kind of fooling around with you or if he was yeah. just, you know. It, it, um, it, it's crazy that you talk about those two dynamics of comedy because I think of your comedy as definitely a mix of that. You have the outrageous high-energy leg-kicking body, you know, mm-hmm. bo- body movement. But at the same time, like when we when I, when I, when I see with the factory. Body rocking. Body rocking. You definitely body rock it. Uh, it's, uh, absolutely. It's, when I, it's, I think of Jock Jam CDs, uh, edition <laughs> two, when I watch your comedy. Sure. Yeah. But in the jock jams of comedy, when I see with the Laugh Factory, you're talking about the, uh, the you're, you're, you've done rape jokes, you've done stuff like that's very serious, like very crazy stuff that you don't think of like Dane Cook is like high energy, but then you go into very serious topics, so you you really balance both those things out. I don't think it was just I, it was that non limitation thing. It's like mm-hmm. okay, if the people that I Doug, growing up, can talk about, you know, everything from, I don't know, politics to farts to whatever else. It's like, you don't want to ever think like this. I didn't want to have really a definitive style. I wanted Mm -hmm. to be able to grow and change with an audience. I never wanted to feel like I have to be the same guy in my 30s that I was in my 20s. So that changed. And then I think even in the last 10 years, I've grown up with a generation of fans. Some of the choices that I make in terms of outside of comedy. But it's really never been about... uh, it's if anything, it's been trying to like uh, grow beyond what I've uh, you know done before. Just you, just just simply to challenge myself sometimes right. to try some different things. And you don't make a conscious effort to do that, do you? Like like for like what you're talking about, like now on stage versus like like the first bit I ever listened uh, on Heartful of Swallowed from you was the car accident bit, and uh, the way you like break down people like running out and the things people are saying and like, well, I heard it and I and she was cleaning a dish and right. I ran out, which by the way, uh, I mean. Fucking one of the best bits of it. Oh man! And I mean, do you? Can I just tell you? Do you still think how it's weird what we just talked about before with that building I lived (laughs) in, La Fontaine? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The corner of La Fontaine, Crescent Heights, and Fountain. uh, The year I wrote that bit, I was living there. It was in USA Today as one of the top ten most dangerous intersections in the country. That that (laughs) intersection. Wow. And there was an accident a week there, every week, and that's (sighs) how I wrote that bit. I wrote that bit because because people were always out on the streets, always coming out. It was one of those things that was just enu- it was in your face yeah, so much you were like, all right, I gotta. I have to because <laughs> I started realizing I, honestly there was like sometimes multiple accidents there. And you probably and ended up telling ones. people about it, right? And yeah. then you're like, all right. oh, I'm in the moment, literally yeah. saying to people outside, like, how come we're always in our row? How come we're, whatever I was, <laughs> we're observing. back here again, and people were out there not helping, or they didn't see, they just heard, and they're just telling other people. But thinking they're impacting the situation or helping by telling people that aren't it, associated with it. It was like Groundhog Day. I kept seeing the same, <laughs> um, uh, the same behaviors. And so I ended up 
you know, just tying it together, I ended up writing that Sometimes bit because I of that. I my shoes off in a fit of joy. Fit of joy. <laughs> I mean, dude, I can't even tell you. My buddy, I was in junior college at SC out here, and I went home to Seattle, and my buddies, they, they pulled out this album and they, in the Humble Swaddle, and we started listening to it. And they, they were like, you got to listen to a couple bits. And then we just listened to the whole thing, and then listened to it again. And, I mean, and people just, the amount, also, too, you, a lot of your bits uh, were, like, so quotable. I mean, people, do you feel like that helps with the, like, I don't know, the word of mouth type shit where people Absolutely. Just, yeah. Yeah, it was almost like, oh, I have like sound bites. Especially yeah. back then, I'm, I'm uploading them on Napster or wherever it was like, or making little clips. Yeah, anytime, you don't, you don't think that people are, I don't know, I guess we don't write in terms of like, these are things people are going to want to repeat. Yeah, this will be right. a catchphrase. But phrase. it's the fact they're listening to it yes. so much mm-hmm. that that's what finally gives them the like, they know the cadence and the musicality and the yeah. fucking hip way you speak or hit certain words. You yeah, don't it, think it, about that yeah. when we're... My 10-year-old uh, half-brother, uh, I would show him your shit, and he to this day is a big Why fan of Why do you have to yours. insult him like that? Why do you have to... Dude, he has a great... I would show him Family Guy and he's your stuff. He's just half a brother. <laughs> he was my brother, you're right. Uh, but he, uh, but he's to this day a huge fan. He introduces I, me yeah. as half his podcast partner, too. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> sick. And, uh, but, uh, but, you know, I get it. <laughs> the same thing, he would like, uh, you know, always, and he'd be like, he'd, every time I'd see him, he would like recite the bits to me and stuff and then like but the same way where it was like you know people would quote a, uh, or soundbite of a bit and then they'd be like ah oh, well let me just show it to you and then they just show the whole thing and then and then people right. end up listening to the whole album i mean it was like yeah it's wild because so many things that came off of that album which is 10 10 years this uh this september wow and um, you're re-releasing it right re-releasing it awesome. on a vinyl and with Dude, some you know, remastered so some extra stuff on there but it uh yeah, I recorded. MySpace helped. All your social media stuff was happening at that time, too. All right? that stuff was just starting to really pick up. I recorded that at the Houston Laugh Stop back. Uh, that was the first place that had a DAT player. I recorded it. I thought, like, I'm just going to use this as, like, promotional. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, who would have thought that it, it ended up, you know, getting my first record deal? And yeah. it just, you know, changed my life. And, and did you feel any sort of pressures after that? Because then your second album went, what, double plat? Like, the high, yeah. number four on the Billboard charts? Yeah, right? Like, you're the... Was it the first like Steve Martin is right? the only other comic yeah. that that's fucking bananas. So there had to be a little. You're not obviously trying to do that, but I mean, after the first album success, and now you're getting all this. Buzz. But I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't uh, afraid of like whatever the sophomore slump is, sure. or mm-hmm. like I wanted the name retaliation and the theme and how I, that was already in my head from the first one. I already wow. knew what I wanted to do for the second one, Shit. and it's so amazing how it's. I think that we create our own failures. I think that we create moments that will um, will fall in on ourselves. I really have this philosophy now as I've gotten older that like when some when you something takes a shit in your life that like oftentimes you've participated in that because you're looking for a way out of a situation that you're in. And I believe uh-huh. that at that point in my life, I was for for that era of my you know coming coming up out of. Uh, you know, off of harmful swallowed finding fans. I felt like I was never better than I was at that time. It just in terms of the sheer confidence. There was no haters, no backlash, right. no mm-hmm. whisperings of like. All you're doing was gaining momentum and fans. Just and momentum, yeah, positivity. Yeah. Why even second guess it? The first thing was almost a fluke, and I'm a lucky motherfucker um, who worked hard within luck. You were prepared for the situation. Totally prepared because I capitalized the minute I saw it start to work. I was like. Oh, this is where I'm. This is my sweet spot. I'm good now. So when the second one was coming around, it was just like, let's just enjoy it. Really, let's just you know, yeah. let's still work hard on it. But um, I'm not going to doubt anything. I'm you fortunate think that, already. Right. And do you think that's why opportunities like SNL and things start just coming at you because you were this just, podcast? You were, 
<laughs> well, I didn't want to say it, but I mean, years later, <laughs> right you there. must have seen through the ficus this Brad's little body <laughs> holding a sign saying, in 10 years, will you do the About Last Night podcast? <laughs> like, I don't know who that dwarf is, but yes. Yes to whatever he's asking me to do. What a mind trip that must have been when you hosted that snout to hear that voice. Like, did you hear the voice say, and your host, Fred Armisen, Kristen Wiig, Cook, the Goo Goo like, Dolls, and your host, <laughs> Dane Cook. Yeah, we- <laughs> You make him sound like a ghost. Like <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it too. It wasn't for your mainly kids. <laughs> Maybe I mean I to me that was like my, that living color for me comedy wise growing yeah. up. And I mean I know I've heard you talk about it in interviews and stuff, but I mean it, it was I can't even imagine stepping out on that fucking star or out of the door. I guess maybe even standing backstage. It was all I mean even just getting there the the week of rehearsal. And I remember one night because you know you write late at night with the if you want to not everybody yeah stays I was gonna later, ask did you just jump all I in? asked yeah like, I was like yeah. hey if you don't mind I want to just it's awesome uh, well, and it was Bill Hader's first year and oh, Keenan wow. had only been there for a minute and uh, so I was kind of feeling like I was coming up with with them in a way they yeah, were mm-hmm. they were all breaking out since the last uh, generation of cast members had left also when was the last comic that was just straight like a straight up Lauren sit? had told me it wasn't since Steve Martin. Or, yeah, so Steve like, Martin, uh, wow. a hero of yours, right? Love Steve Martin. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Just like that's and fucking nuts. Because I remember, I remember when your monologue was like eight minutes of stand up. I was like, this is sure. fucking crazy. And that, that was Lauren happening. again. Lauren Michaels, you know, uh, producer yes. of the SNL. Mm-hmm. And he, 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 that was him. He was the because I want to do a skit. I'm like, let me do what everybody yeah, else do does. Do a song and dance. Bring out the piano. Do a I, tap number. I was like, yeah, let's. That's the thing you do here. And he was like, no, no. I want you to do stand up. I mm-hmm. want you to do whatever you want to do. Uh, with your stand-up, and he said, because that's your moment. That's when the whole show is yours. The rest of it, you're Jeez. on the, you're on our mm. ride. Yeah. But in that moment, um, it, why don't you choose to take the helm and really, you know, show America what it is that you do in a way that, uh, you know, unless you're on cable, you you wouldn't be able to do. And I and I have to say on this podcast that. Um, about last night podcast. Wow, Woo. dude! Plug within, is, the show. within the show. Within the show. Uh, <laughs> really appreciate that. You have my consent Speaking to use sound that bites, We're taking. Yeah, you're just keeping, dude. Ten years later, still the sound bites. Are but still he said to me um, the second time I did the show, I had a, a, a routine that was really probably one of the darkest pieces I've ever come up with on uh, suicide. And how oh, so when you did an isolated is, incident. No, it was the, the early version about, of that. Okay, you I did it again. What was it? Writing the note to well, whatever. Yeah, is it? it was nuts. Okay. It was just a lot of stuff that was really. So you um, wanted to do this? I wanted to do it on the show, even though I knew that it was, uh, it was that it was really risque, yeah. and you know. But uh, and then the network, once they caught wind of it. They they stormed into the dressing room and were like, oh, wow. Don Pardo's like, I think it's hilarious. Don Pardo <laughs> like, you're not doing you're the not bit. Doing hey, man. <laughs> Fred Armisen could do the bit. <laughs> Musical guest, Vertical Horizon. Dude, that's not even why. No, we're talking about the bit. Okay, but he came into the. Uh, you know, he came in after I was getting you know pretty much uh, tongue lashing from uh, standards of practice, and and he he was like. I remember he just looked at me, and, and for everything that people have ever said about Lauren being kind of this scary... Puppet master. You know, he, I, I, I didn't see that. Um, I, I always saw him as just like a real uh, methodical genius of, you know, comedy and, and the mm-hmm. way I watched him operate and kind of like work with his, his, his gang. But he came in, he closed the door, and he said, do you want to do it? And I said, I really do. And he goes, 
I'll take care of everything else. You just focus on. Wow. It was like 20 minutes before the show was going to start. They wanted to pull it. Whoa. So Jeez. they were in my head, like, you yeah. know, where my, I'm going to, like, the network is going to hate me, and then the president will call my house right. and be like, yeah. you have offended America. <laughs> you must leave. <laughs> Jay Leno's going to cry. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, but I, I, walking the halls at night uh, at SNL, after mm-hmm. I would leave everybody's, you know, offices and I would just walk around by myself, look at all the pictures on the walls, and realize, like, man, Aykroyd and Chase and Steve Martin yeah. and Martin Short, who was, like, a guy that I, sure. I really nice. loved. And it, uh, what about the call? I mean, like, even, like, just getting the news. Because that, to me, I mean. Yeah, it's, it's – I'll tell you, like, the quick version of the story sure. was Lauren had uh, – Lauren and the show had come to me in, like, 1995 and wanted me to uh, come in potentially to be the replacement for Sandler. Was this after Mystery Men? This I don't even know. <laughs> oh, was this uh, they, uh, they wanted the waffler, didn't they? Did they want the waffler or some waffle action? Or did they want your hit character from uh, the Dennis Rodman movie? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and then the po- and then the podcast hits <laughs> a new low. This is, when the podcast, <laughs> this, is, this is the intermission. This is when Brad gets tossed break. out. This is when Brad gets tossed out like uh, Uncle Phil tossed out DJ Jazzy Jeff on Fresh Prince. <laughs> um, I, I don't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I didn't even know when that was, man. That's Simon such a says, blur in my life. Yeah. Um, but he, they, when no, you get a cast, so replace Sandler. All right, Sandler, well, and then um, uh, Marcy Carsey and everybody over there. They wanted me to come in, and I, I didn't. I didn't audition for SNL because I just knew that I wasn't uh, mentally capable of it because I was mm-hmm. a very. Um, I was still a very fragile young guy, okay. even though I was like looked mean? upon as kind of a dominant uh, at the helm guy yep. on mm-hmm. stage. I still didn't have a lot of uh, social skills off stage, which are kind of uh, uh, and you need there, yeah, yeah, because it is a fucking battle royale to it's get a your collaborative. S- fuck oh, sure, it's a hustle just well, it's and competitive and cutthroat, competitive, very competitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're collaborative, s- but mostly. You know, competitive. Yeah, you're all sitting in that room with each other, all pitching your sketches to Lauren. I've heard, I've, I've, I've yeah. heard the stories. Which just, just listening to that, being in yeah. the room and listening to, to the way everybody's kind of like selling themselves is, mm-hmm. it's inspiring. But it was also like, like I'm like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to pitch. I'm like, you, you get like a tight throat because this is everybody's moment to like sure. possibly get on air. Is it week. similar to when you're like you're in the fifth grade and everyone has their book reports and you have to stand up and read it in front of the class like that same type nothing of like that. Adam. <laughs> Fair it we'll is, be right back. This with is more. a, and this I is a major connecting. network program of thirty years, and you're yeah, talking exactly. about <laughs> the time I read The Chosen. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So, 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 so you're I didn't there do it. And you're like, I didn't do it. I passed on it, and Fallon ended up uh, auditioning and getting it. Cool. Oh, by the way, I'm not saying I was offered. I'm saying mm-hmm. they they made it very clear. We want a Sandler's leaving. We want a young, white, energetic, affable, guitar playing, singing guy. Which I did all those things. Wow. And so I didn't do it. Um, Regrets. Sometimes it mm-hmm. it fucked with me, especially like the five years after that, before any. You know, my spaces are, you know, sure. Comedy Central specials. You know, none of that was happening. So it was a good little time where I was watching Fallon and kind of being like, damn, man, like, could have been me. That would have been my spot. Yeah. Not to the point of like depression, but, right. you know, just, you know, when I'm in the middle of fuckville nowhere going like, turn on the TV and there's Fallon. And I'm like, what if I tried? Would I have gotten it? Sure. You know, I don't know if I would have. He, he actually may have always been the guy to get it, right? But I never even gave it the the old uh, college try. Of course. So then you cut to 2006, and Lauren uh, calls me up and he's like, uh, "I want you to fly to New York, and we're thinking about at, you know adding some interesting cast members." 
and wanted it possibly add me as a cast member almost like what billy crystal had done back yeah, in the day right, right, when yeah. he was already a, an established name but then decided to yeah, come on they wanted to do some kind of cool stunt type stuff mm-hmm. and i told lauren i was like you know i'll fly back to um you know meet with you guys but you know i i'm not really sure if this is what i want because i had a fan base at that point and right I just, you know, just felt really like in the pocket. Now I know what I'm doing. Yep. I'm taking my fans and everything you've built up. I want to be my Lauren Michaels. I want to find my oh, yeah. show for like the comics I love and for you know. So I, there's you something. Know, and there is definitely something to be said about striking on when the timing does kind of present itself, right? I mean, yeah. You know, do you join someone else's Justice League or do you create a you know a gang of heroes you know that you can uh, you know kind of call the shots with and to and fro? Sure. So. There you go. So I said I went back to um, New York. I had an interesting story that happened at the comic strip, which we can we'll talk about later, it. with Steve Martin. He actually brought Steve Martin to see me and didn't tell me until oh, I got And that's off your stage. hero. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So I walked off stage, and yeah. my best friend said, do you know who Lauren brought to see you tonight? And I said, yeah, I think he brought Tina Fey. And he goes, he brought Steve fucking Martin. <laughs> and it was one of the best sets I'd ever had in New York City. That's unbelievable. Wow. But will Tarantino wouldn't come okay. back to that What if minute. he said, just kidding on Steve Martin, it was Mayim Bialik? <laughs> <laughs> it's Ruth Buzzy <laughs> that he brought. But she is Remember, jo- Remember Joey Lawrence? Well, it's his youngest brother. <laughs> uh, that's incredible. Uh, so, all, right. all right, so I say to Lauren, um, you know, in, you know mo- with the most amount of respect, you know, it's just it doesn't feel like my thing. But I said to him, but I'd love to host. Wow. And... And he, you know, it wasn't really, rec- it was kind of received in a way Lauren receives most, most things, which is, you know, he's pretty you know, passive, and mm-hmm. then they go somewhere, and then I got a call, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's not going to happen, and basically saying no comic has um, come back and done that, and that's just not mm-hmm. the way we do things anymore. And um, then four months later, I was at the comedy festival in Vegas. Retaliation did yeah. what, what it, it did, did. Yeah. and Lauren called me up, and he said, um, it's time. Y- you're right. He's like, you're right. And uh, you should host. You're right. Holy shit, man. Yeah, he goes, you're right. You should host. Would you like to host Saturday Night Live? I'm saying it again right now. Dude, that's <laughs> fucking Goosebump City, yeah. man. And yeah. I was like, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's the it right time life. in my life or time in my career. Yeah. You know what? I got this fight because I got a trim. Uh, <laughs> that, well, that's a fucking standstill it was, moment. It was, it was. And that, again, we're talking about this is all still the era of Good Times USA. There's n- no real... There's nothing that this industry eventually does, which is flip the script on you, and right. there's the Try ebb and the flow. There's no flow like yet. That. The pendulum's still in fucking, mm-hmm. you know, the infield. It's just all that's like that's like glory days, golden era. Like man, that's before the tough stuff that sure. we all have to eventually deal with. Had right? you been made? Get you. Had you been made aware at all in the business by anybody that like as success is as uh, climbing that like the backlash knew is it. coming? Oh, or? I knew. I knew. Or were you like uh, just uh, naive no. enough to be like, "This is all great"? And- no, 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 not naive, but like telling my telling my family, like, you realize that this has been so good. The in the mm-hmm. pendulum thing that I would say is like that it will swing the other way. That's it's life, just like right? how long do we get? Like, yeah. to- totally understood that. You know, whatever bad cliche, the 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 higher they rise, the faster they falls, and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Like, I knew that I could do everything I could to try to. Um, you know, pad it or, um, you know, weather storms or whatever. But <laughs> I, I did know that at some point something was going to give. Mm-hmm. So it was like, let's just, you know, harvest, save as much money as I can, get while the getting's good. And hopefully the diehard fans will 
stay with whatever happens. Sure. And and they have. I mean, look at your at every social media. You're killing. You're you're selling out. You're about you're you're about to go on this tour. Yeah. And uh, it, it, that's the Under Oath tour that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, right? the Under Oath tour starts September 12th. Ooh, in right. Washington D.C. at the DAR Center. Right. <laughs> Where can we find the dates and tickets, Dane? It's you know I'm sure it's probably on a website called DaneCook.com. <laughs> sure, I've heard of that. Yeah, that's your name plus a dot com. <laughs> and, and and you've. You've gone through like every spectrum comedy. You've played. Uh, you've done Yo, Madison Square Garden. You're the one of two, six. One of, one of six comics to sell it out. God, still yeah. not very many. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> such a letdown after you said, you said two, and then I was like, oh, well, yeah, six. Only, only six of us, <laughs> and, and then I got thousands of comics have done it. <laughs> only six of us. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah, you uh, you've done <laughs> shows at like the Pepsi Center in Denver, and fuck, it, like the Madison Square Garden, yeah. the Fleet Center in Boston. These are where basketball teams play, and they're that's right, Brad. Yes. We'll be right back with more obvious fucking facts from Brad Williams. No, you're right though. But yeah, like, it's a big deal. There's when, a lot of space in these. Yeah, <laughs> but like when you go when you go from like a a, a bar show like Dublin's, which well, was the greatest bar show of all sure. time. Yeah, uh, you're, you're like st- a little arena, man. I'm telling you, it was, <laughs> was like, it? like a Educate- 300 people arena. All I've done is all I've uh, is heard stories about it. If you want to give any sort real of, quickly, because yeah. I don't yeah. want to interrupt, Brad was yes. he was really building up to uh, a great compliment. The Deus Ex Machina was going <laughs> to come down. Uh, Dublin's was just like a cool joint, almost like the West Coast Cafe Wa to New York, mm-hmm. which is where you could go in a free show on a Tuesday night in the attic of a fucking bar that had no business being a comedy room, and yet I feel like it elevated comedians' uh, performances to another level, and I know it, it certainly taught me a lot, and I had some of my best shows in L.A. Oh, or as, anywhere there. Now, I don't want to James yeah. Lipton it, but why? <laughs> <laughs> Did you just have a stroke? I think I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> what just happened? I tried, to, I tried to say James Lifton to distract you from the stroke I was having, to think that that was the impression. No, but, like, why? What about the room? Worst Lifton I've ever heard. <laughs> well, let me try to redeem myself later in the okay. episode. Wait. If you could... <laughs> if you got to heaven... Oh, Steph, not Sean Connery. Yeah. What is a Sufi? <laughs> it's a Sufi. Sufi. What was the first of the nine questions that you just asked me? <laughs> What about the room at Dublin's oh, elevated your act? I, it was just I, not conducive. I don't know, man. It's kind of like what's funny. It's like who knows? It's it was just something things. in the there was something in the ether. You got up into that attic and you just you know I, I, I did a lot of shows with Bowden there, yeah. and Bowden was he'd be like Lonzo Bowden. He'd just go like this. Yeah. We don't question it. We don't question it. Like let's not even try because we'd be like, mm-hmm. can you? He'd be like, uh, uh-uh, uh, man. We we just don't even question it. So he, it was that thing of like, don't question it. It's just an amazing room, and hopefully it'll stay for for a minute. And it got to be like a hot spot for celebs and shit, right? It did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a lot of beautiful, uh, you know, women and models, and uh, you know, and then there was like, you know, the Johnny Depp's and uh, you what? Know, just act. Yeah, a lot of big actors <laughs> coming through. Bruce Willis was there on on one night, dying hard. <laughs> just, just, just a Hollywood hotspot. I remember when yeah. I first got to LA, people were like, "You got, you got to go to Dublin's," and they specifically mentioned you. Like this guy Dane Cook is just fucking crushing it. Well, I went because Chappelle actually went. Oh, Chappelle really? went one night, mm-hmm. and because I had no interest in going, I was like, "What? I didn't even know what this a place bar show, is." Yeah, yeah it's kind of weird. And you know, the factory was always packed for me, and it was. Yep. I love the factory. And then Chappelle went, and I was like, "Oh, Chappelle can go." Then I'll go over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it ended up uh, being because uh, Ahmed Ahmed was running the room with right. uh, Jay Davis back then, yep. and, uh, mm-hmm. and it just turned into it. Really, Dave kind of put it on the map. I think from his showing up, and then a lot of people went to be like, "Oh, where's Dave performing?" And then we all done right. it. Did Danny Bonaduce ever perform there? <laughs> I think he blew a man in the bathroom there once <laughs> <laughs> for HGH. 
that was amazing. Fellow <laughs> improvisers out there, that's how you guys end. But it really was. I mean, I, in no, no, uh, in no, no joke. It was almost like um, it felt like a, the same way like some of the bigger shows I've done in my life, a sh- a, and the Cafe Wa and the Comedy Cellar. And uh, even the Laugh Factory, sometimes just something happens in there. It doesn't matter if you're in front of 20,000 people or, or those rooms packed. It's like it feels like you're, um, there's, something, there's something elevating your performance. Gotcha. You know? yeah. It's not just about the, the room you're in or the reputation of it. It's, like, it's about the crowd and the time and, and where watching. you're at. Sure. Yeah. So awesome. ha- now, now going from clubs to theaters and arenas, like is that even something you can prepare or practice for, or are you just like I've got energy and I'm moving around, so this will be a no brainer? It it was, it it's like rough around the edges. That was in the round, right? Is that the that was that, that was Madison Square Garden? That right. was in the round. But vicious everything circle, leading over, up to yeah. Vicious, vicious Circle, yeah, yeah that's Vicious. Also, yeah. But fifteen years earlier, I was doing a show at the Cape Cod Melody Tent, which was I've been there, yeah, yeah, twenty three hundred seats in the mm-hmm. round. Mm-hmm. And so in 93, I was playing the round, 93, 94, and then and, and loving it um, and just immediately having like a connection to that kind of stage. And then I remember watching um, George Carlin in the round. It was a show he did in Arizona years, like 70 and 70. Oh, at like, the uh, Celebrity Theater. I believe the Celebrity, yeah. celebrity Theater, it, which Marty Culliner directed. And Marty Culliner directed my show in the round at wow. uh, for Vicious Circle. That's awesome. Um, but it was... Anytime I'd seen round shows, I always dug it. And so, um, you know, in the years leading up to that, as the college shows grew, I would end up playing. There was never like one night where I was like, it went from 300 to like I'm in an arena. It was like every year for about 12 straight years, it was like, you know, okay, 1,500. And, oh, there's 2,000 students here today. And now it's like 3,200. It really every year was like. And then. Penn State in 95 was the first time it went from, oh, we think we're going to sell 5,000 tickets to, like, 12,500 <laughs> tickets. That was during Torgasm. Holy and crap. that's when I was like, I'm going to do an HBO special in an arena. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this round show, this massive round show. And it just uh, – the I remember the look of that show was just unbelievable because yeah. like the, the, you had so many crowd shots. And you just – as comics, you just kept looking at that going – are you fucking kidding yeah, me? Yeah. And it, it was didn't like the seem, backdrop was a crowd. Yeah. yeah, it didn't seem too big either. Like I, I feel like the laughs were all carrying, and your timing wasn't being thrown off from what I like listened to and watched. That's why the round actually is is appealing because uh, when you do it, what is it? Uh, Presidium. Pr- 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 yeah, 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 yeah. When you do that, I can understand there's some kind of like bounce or. I don't really like larger shows actually of that level. Um, mm-hmm. But I like doing it in the round because it's like four theaters at any point right. when you turn. Wow. You also knew how to play. Sound. Yeah. It's just better for. Uh, I think it just works better a, yep. a round show. You also had just an innate performer's uh, ability to play the room and like not. You know, like you have to otherwise. Yeah, you got to be like a real showman to yeah, get in there. Totally. But you know what? I, I'll tell you this, Adam. They um, anytime I brought comics out on the road with me, even comics that were maybe uh, more cerebral or. Like, like, a, com- like a Gary Goldman or like something. Like a Gary Goldman, you yeah. know, like, you know, somebody, yeah, Gary Goldman's a perfect example of like anybody who over the years I put in front of those crowds, um, even Ben Glebe on my last tour, sure. or even like Newberg I brought, you know, w- when he wasn't doing the um, the crowd pleasing guitar stuff, sure. like, mm-hmm. you know, his whole thing is like everything is just kind of like that low key. Fozzie Bear? And every, <laughs> he does kind of sound like Fozzie Bear. <laughs> but um, it, it just, it, it, it just, uh, it, it works. And I think also it's a testament to my comedy fans are like they love stand up, not just they're not snobs. 
they they come loving all kinds of different. That's uh, awesome, and, and, yeah. and also just getting to the the fact that the the point of having a following, like I just right. like where people are coming for you, right? That's a that's got to be a moment where you go, okay, now I'm not going to try to build fans. Now they're just coming out in the masses, which I'm, is the is greatest he- feeling. And then at the same time, it's a weird thing because. As again, I don't know if this is just like men in comedy. It's like that early comic mind of like nobody knows me and I need to win. Yes, mm-hmm. I miss that sometimes. Really, I still do. Yeah, that's why I like walking into a room where maybe people aren't necessarily there just for me. Sure, because right. to try to win them over, yeah. win them over, or there's people that are, are now are like, oh, I would never, I don't really like this guy. Yeah, and then you can kind of see that shift, or so that's the new version of the challenge, yeah. but mm-hmm. I miss those early days, man, where it was like, and we all want to get out of that, everybody. It's like, sure. oh, I want to have a fan base. But yeah. you do miss being like the gunslinger that nobody knows has the fastest draw in the room. And, and you yeah. get off and people be like, who the fuck's that guy? Right. Oh, those, you, hey, those man, what's stories, your name again? Yeah. Like, the, wow. those stories of people walking up to you after the show, like, we got free tickets on the street corner. We had no idea <laughs> that it was going to be like this. this is Dwayne Cook, you were great. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what, is it easier when you have your uh, than your following coming up for you? or uh, What's easier to pay the mortgage, I'll tell you that, because sure. you know that they're, they're going to come in and pay their hard-earned dollar, and you're going to, you know, it's, it's certainly more of a... Um, uh, you know, it's a it's a collaborative effort at that point, but you still do miss those. There's something glamorous about those mm-hmm. early days of like, I gotta go in and just make. Is this like, are you talking about way. like before the essence, like after Harmful Swallow came out and you were at the factory like every weekend and you were just like building it at that point? Is that yeah? Think of it like this: back in that time when Harmful first came out, people starting to go like, "Who's this guy? What's this about?" Yes. Mm-hmm. Then they go, they still aren't really sure. They may have heard a nugget or here and there, mm-hmm. and in clumps of three hundred, it's like win, win. Yeah, P- like you. like because they feel like they're discovering. Gotcha. Yeah, and you right. see comics doing this once in a while, and there's even I I I was just saying recently, like I think your group of comics or the guys that I see now are some of the best. I I think the next generation of comics is like. There's a, a wealth of great comics and great mm-hmm. voices. But at that time, there wasn't a lot of guys. There wasn't. There was a lot of generation before me guys that were still kind of languishing and it, hanging and like with all due respect. Back, yeah, maybe coming back to the club. So I was coming in and just going like, uh, I was just like coming up to the blackjack table or poker table being mm-hmm. like, right. my pile. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was wonderful because everybody was leaving and being like, what did we just see? Yeah. And, yeah. and that was so awesome. Yeah. Because that's what we dream of, of like, how do I find my fans mm-hmm. and then find them like in groups? <laughs> yeah. Now, now, when, now when you have your fans now, when, when, when you do have your crowds, do you feel it's more pressure because they have a certain expectation where when people were, when people were discovering you, they didn't have an expectation. They just said, oh, who's this Dan Cook guy? But now, but now they're coming going, I'm seeing the guy that sold out Madison Square Garden. It's so weird, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm in a transition. I'm in another transition part of my life. Mm-hmm. And it's tough to answer this, which is why we're going to have to come back in a year. Thanks, everybody. Have a great <laughs> night. Um, Check out Little Wafers on Fox, Tuesdays, 8, 9 Central. Bullseye. Midnight's on Fox. Um, it, I really want to understand your question, too, because mm-hmm. you just – you said well, well because right because it used to be you would go out there people wouldn't know you yet they had no expectations right of what you are now people when they buy a ticket to see dane cook okay they're going i'm seeing the guy that sold out arenas i'm seeing the guy that was number four in the billboard okay. charts so you have to live up to I'm, that. i am in a weird i'm in a, not a weird i'm in a transition of there was like a there was a, a few years um until like i don't know maybe like 
last year mm-hmm. to where I did feel that. I felt like, okay, based on everything I accomplished and then based on even like some of the hardships and like, um, you know, uh, things that, you know, the stuff that's ahead of me, you know, the preconceived notions, the stuff that like what's real, what's true, what's not. Sure. Like I did feel all that for a while. So mm-hmm. I would go into a room feeling both um, excitable because my fans and a bit defensive because – some people are, you know, just trying to put a scarlet letter sure. on you. And then, like, I don't know, maybe great therapy or <laughs> just, you know, something happened in the last... And again, I'm in it now, so it's tough to really identify it. But now it's almost like... I was talking to Greg Fitzsimmons about this, and I think it's just like now there's like this... Uh, I'm in this place of like... I've been doing it 23 years, huh. and I think there's just like an overall appreciation for me at this point or somebody who's like hung in there. Sure. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, Cause yeah. you, you had that time in your career where, yeah, you, you were taking some punches, but now you're coming out. It's like, Hey, I'm still here. Yeah. I'm still killing it. So you can't say that you took me down. You can't say that, uh, you stopped it's just me. Come around to just funny yeah. again. It's just come around to just about the show again. Like, yeah. what do you, mm-hmm. Instead of like stuff that went along with it, you definitely feel that, yeah. I mean, like I this do. Past year, like we're like, no, I can walk. Most in now fun I've I... had in the last two years, probably you know, versus the last five or six that were just. Is that why you took a break for like a year or so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to kind of. Well, I was you coming were... off. My parents had died, and my brother, you know, I had to put in sure. jail, and so it was like I needed time to really figure out who the fuck I was and how to deal with certain things that I just. I didn't know about grief and certain things. I didn't know how to. You hadn't had any sort of loss or any sort of. Before my parents, no, mm-hmm. no, and I lost both my parents. Then my brother, you know, steals from me, so he died basically because the person right. I knew who was my brother. Then my mentor had a stroke, and Patrice O'Neill. So I pretty much lost like oh, five man. unbelievable people in my life. Dude, how many? I mean, how often does that happen to anybody in in a, in oh, a year? Nuts. I mean, that's. Yeah. I have so much more empathy, you guys, for people that are, you know, I just understand loss in the simplest of terms and what that really, the gravity of that and what it really truly does to you and how important it is to have uh, people be very stark and real with you. Even Mm -hmm. if it's not what you want to hear, I have a greater appreciation of both wanting to receive that and setting up boundaries and knowing how I can get that from people and then also giving that to, to people as well. You know? Fuck, yeah. One of the, and maybe this is a prime example of this. Do you think that maybe prime example should be a movie <laughs> with Harrison Ford? Prime and example. Jean Claude Van Damme making his his comeback. <laughs> okay, wait a second. <laughs> oh my God, please. Build Can this we up. just build this up yeah. for a second? Absolutely. Okay. It prime should... <laughs> prime example. Starting who's the Jean Claude Van Damme? Uh, Jean Claude Van Damme comes back, but he he's gonna be with Harrison Ford, which is gonna give him some real, you know, um, it's gonna give him. It, it, that anybody coupled with Harrison Ford, that's like you're in the cool camp again. Yes. Right. Immediately. No matter where people kind of place you before, it's like, oh, I'm doing a movie with Harrison yes. Ford. Done. And you're ding, back. Ding, ding. Can the yeah. guy who was his like sidekick in Indiana Jones and the butler in Trading Places be like <laughs> his like secretary or some sort of his helper who does okay, short work? I'm going to say this. The first short round comes is, back. Is don't deny. So I'm going to go with you on that. <laughs> but no. <laughs> I'm going with you. But absolutely not. Adam. All right. All right. All right. So then who was the villain? <laughs> the villain. Prime example. Oh, Dude, that's, that's unreal. <laughs> it's either an action film with Van Damme or it's yeah. somehow it's about steak. 
<laughs> oh, pro- oh, like like a, like, like Catherine Zeta Jones takes over a restaurant or something. <laughs> a rom com <laughs> with yeah. steak. Oh, she's a vegan. She takes over worst. a steak restaurant. Oh, because oh, but and she's Abigail, a hard she's Abigail a hardcore she's a hardcore vegetarian. Yeah. But her crazy dad le- leaves her his his slaughterhouse, played by <laughs> Tony Danza. <laughs> And he's like, boy, you know what? I love is steak, but I'm really starting to like this new girl. They're like, who, Catherine Zeta? Yeah. With special appearances by Christian Slater. You know, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'll give you a prime example that everybody's going batshit crazy. And the moment where you say the, the, the name of the movie in the movie, everyone goes, ah, that's the name of the movie. They and, said it. And Fred Savage as the janitor. <laughs> Who just, who just mops up the cow guts. But he never <laughs> says anything. You just hear Daniel Stern's uh, voiceover. Oh, very good. Oh, yeah. good Deep good cuts call. right Deep there. Cuts. <laughs> Deep cuts, which is a sequel to Prime Example. Wait a oh, second. Hold on. Wow. Get out those stick knives. <laughs> it's Again. Deep cuts. <laughs> Deep if cuts. you liked Prime Example, <laughs> Deep Cuts also sounds you're like you're going to salivate over Deep Cuts. <laughs> That's a great poster. Deep Cuts also though, could be a really awful softcore porn, <laughs> like where you're fucking people Star- with, le- with lesions yeah. and just starring deep the, cuts. Starring the Suicide Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Deep Cuts sounds like the Star- short film the guy who made Two Girls One Cup tried to make, and he didn't <laughs> he get enough failed. financing for it. I could just hear people right now like, "We got to rewind this whole part because <laughs> they're on like the third tier of Dante's Inferno." <laughs> <laughs> and they're still on where people are up to their neck and ice. <laughs> Maybe Pierce Brosnan could do the uh, the voice. Reeling, really us in. Reeling. I don't know where we were before that. I think uh, we were talking about I know, the, the, I know exactly the melancholy what, yeah. years. Yeah, then we went right there into prime <laughs> example. You know that's great, man. We get, we get serious and we get funny. Uh, yeah. But well, what I was going to ask uh, before you, we went you, on. You were the audience's thoughts just then, yeah. Adam. That's what you just did. Yeah. You were the narrative the of the bubble. audience's thinking. I Somebody's would've... listening going, you know, we got the funny and we get the serious. <laughs> 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 you son of a bitch. <laughs> hey, your name was just on the uh, marquee over at the World Famous Laugh Factory. Time ever. Yeah, it was. Congratulations, man. That's you know? honestly, that's awesome. Yo, Dane, well, we ha- you have to just hold that thought because I have to tell oh, the story. Well, yeah, no problem. I, you have. Um, uh, Is no, this a long story? No, it's like two, 20 seconds. It's busting your drops. Uh, I appreciate that you even said that because uh, when I, uh, seven years ago when I started stand up, I was dating a girl in New York and we'd gone to SC together and she moved out there to be in the page program at NBC, which by the way, I was out there when you did your SNL thing and I saw during the rehearsal, you were doing a sweater sketch where you had to put on a bunch of sweaters. Yes. And I think you choked on something. I really did. Yeah. Was I was terrifying. watching that through a fucking window, man. And oh, now wow. we're here. Yeah, and you were upstairs on like dude, the, the, it, the tour. Or she whatever. gave the tours, and I was with her. And she like Dane Cooks, and I was again giant fan. We were watching wow. uh, Vicious Circle. I think came out maybe shortly after that. Uh, anyway, that so I'm looking down, and you were fucking doing the was doing rehearsal, right? Uh, the sweater thing. Yes, and one of the hairball. Yes, one of the pieces of this crazy sweater floated into my mouth. Yes, mm-hmm. and so I had like a, a the driest hairball or whatever it was from the sweater in my mouth and I almost choked and I was like this is gonna happen dude I was watching that right. fucking window uh, like right after it happened because everyone had stopped and I said I people still feel it <laughs> that and, and that's one of those things where no one that I think small enough to where no, no one really sees it go in your mouth all of a sudden no. you just start choking like but I could see choking? them flying off during the live show and all I and so if I breathed in it mm-hmm. was gonna basically suck it into my gullet <laughs> So so, so she's out there, and I'm uh, you know at, at, here in L.A. like doing stand up once every four months, doing bringer shows at the comedy store. Like, not sure if I want to do it. Just trying not to be depressed about missing her, and you know, super just uh, huge fan of you. And 
all of a sudden I would start being like, I gotta do, I gotta be around something happy that's like fun for me because I'm sitting home waiting to hear about her being like, I'm at an SNL party and John Stamos is here. One second, fucking hey, Stamos, get your fingers out of me, you know, or whatever he was, you know, be, you know, I didn't want to hear those phone calls, so I would go to the factory, Dane, and I would first of all I'd look on the site and I'd see your, when your name was either there, I'd like immediately call and buy a ticket, or it would, or I'd hit and refresh. Fingers, I'm still thinking of get your fingers out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That. That's on the poster from Prime Cuts. <laughs> Get your fingers out of me. Prime example, deep cuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want in oh, on Prime, this or not? I'm man. sorry, yeah. man. I'm trying. So that short-term <laughs> memory. <laughs> so. So uh, I would go to the factory, right? Yep. And I would, uh, and your name would get added sometimes the last minute, and fucking shit would sell. I'd call ten minutes later, be like, "Sorry, we're sold out." I was like, "Are you fucking crazy?" I just refreshed it ten minutes ago. Sometimes I would just show up, and um, uh, Jay Davis was there one time, and I had seen him somehow, and he was such a cool guy. And he was like, "Yeah, man, cool." I worked at a casting office that he had auditioned for something for. Right. So he was like, "Cool, man, I'll get you in the show." I would stand in the back, no joke, or up in the top because there were just no seats, and watch you. Murder in a way that I've never, to this day, and I, I quote this all the time, I've never seen somebody hold the crowd in the palm of their hand to this day the way you did. It was fucking mind-blowing, man. Like, uh, and you talking about when you were just those days of being, you know, um, right after Harmful, I guess, and where you were just, like, still just... Um, Blind white rage. Yes, <laughs> and these people, but, dude, I mean, yeah. it was people... Uh, hanging on your every word, like, and I would then start stop watching you and watching the crowd, man. And it was bananas. There was no heckling. There was no. It was just everybody was having would liked you so much, and also. Um, so I'd watch that, and a get super intimidated because I yet didn't know that you develop your own point of view and you become your own voice. So I was like, if is this what I have to do? I can't do this. I don't know if I have that type of energy in me. Right. And then it also, on the flip side, though, inspired me to go, that looks like so much fucking fun. <laughs> and <laughs> do to that. do it. No joke, man. Yeah. It was seven years ago. And then, so then, uh, you know, she moves to Reno. She ends up fucking a camera guy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, she's a TV reporter. <laughs> We've gone through this story a few times. Yeah, hey, you get your fingers into me. <laughs> you know what she's saying to this guy. You know what's funny, man? Hey, so camera A. She ends up, she ends up <laughs> jam those digits. <laughs> She ends up cheating me with a camera guy, and, and as she was telling me, I was oh. like, I didn't, you, you don't, when you're hearing the cheat, you, you want to ask questions that you don't want answers to. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm a comic, so I deal with the tragedy. We're trying to make a joke, so I go, I go, oh, so when you told me he was shooting your stories, was he shooting them on your face? And she's like, why would you say that? I was like, I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah. Anyway, we finally break up. I'm like, sorry, I told you this was a shorter story. We finally break up, um, and uh, I go, I have no reason to not. Uh, Pursue this full time. I started going to the factory, open mics. Started like you know, just doing, just yeah. hang out, driving. Send to Santa. that girl a fruit basket, man. <laughs> Dude, totally. And uh, filled with fingers. But I, I, I finally got a show when I at the factory, and you popped in, and you for sure won't remember this because you talked to so many people. Bumped you. No, <laughs> I don't know. You actually went, no, you, but I, I you crushed his dream right here. <laughs> there was like 20 people. And first of all, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. He's coming in for 20 people right now. People went ape shit. I sat there and I was just like, oh, I'm from Seattle, blah, blah, blah. And he liked tips. I just was like, let me get this. Is my fucking hero. Let me get like some quick little something. And you were cool. Do you really? Yeah. In the corner of that booth. And mm -hmm. I was just like, and you were just like, man, just keep doing it. Like, keep I feel like that was really not that long ago. That's how quick, you know, just well, seven years ago, seven years ago. No, yeah. I feel like if you it, if we had talked about that at the club, I would have been like, oh, that was like, you know, 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But dude, I mean, but you're great, man. I really like what you're doing. I, I, I will say it. Uh, the feeling is mutual. I'm a big fan. Now, Brad, what do you do? <laughs> I just kind of stand there. <laughs> wait, 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 I, I, I really but, dig what you do dude, up there, man. Well, that's, I mean, unbelievable to hear. But about. how does this translate into dollars for me, Adam? <laughs> 
Well, he's asking the important question. Will you fund here. the About Last Night <laughs> podcast tour and, and, and host it? How much am I yeah. getting paid yeah, yeah. to have to listen to that story? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Now, you'll cut that entire chunk out, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Sure. yeah. That's yeah, not yeah. in there at Absolutely. all. Absolutely. Yeah. Dude, yeah. This all is right, all just funny. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, there's two listeners being like, you know what? I liked, I thought they were going to have no more heart in this podcast, but they just pe- peppered in one more, more story. We are going to pump this thing up to 40 listeners by the end of this. <laughs> we're doing it. Tweet anyway, session. thank you. That's the bottom line of that story, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, um, man. Uh, who, do it, now, when you, you were saying like Rodney, like guys, when you started getting yeah. into it, who were your, because, you know, who were the guys that well, you were I, like, I'll I w- tell you, I have a few stories like that of, of like guys that I, I mean, a bunch of them were in Boston that unfortunately never, um, hit the mainstream you know but mm-hmm. like guys that if i i named them and you're from beantown you'd be like oh man the, the legends of boston yeah. kind of guys yeah, yeah so there was a bunch like that that i came out you know guys like kevin knox or don gavin and steve sweeney these guys were like they were in uh they're they were in the documentary on yeah boston comedy yes yeah. um when stand-up stood out yeah which is i you, know, you gotta you gotta see it if you like stand-up you know, you know when stand-up stood out is a great great documentary basically lenny clark had uh, at the Ding Ho at the Ding Ho, uh, mm-hmm. which was the kind of like the Dublin's or the Cafe Wa of Boston. Sure. He was the first guy to have like one of those old school video cameras and bring it and bring it backstage. Oh, no shit. So he's got footage, you know, from you know. It's oh, kind of wow. funny seeing him hold like the this <laughs> massive uh, RCA bazooka, basically. On his yeah, um, but you know, coming up with those guys. So those were like my my like being on a show with them, but being intimidated to even talk to them, right. and also doing shows with them where it wasn't maybe a compliment of like, hey, you did great tonight, where you'd see these guys after and they go, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and you just had to figure out, okay, I don't want that reaction again. Right, so, right. And then as I you know, went through the Comedy Cellar, um, you know, every night getting bumped by Chris Rock or Ray Romano was already always there at the time. Colin, because he was doing, I think, SNL. And mm-hmm. so these are the guys that would knock me to 3.30, but I would just sit and watch them all night. And if I did a few minutes and they saw me and came up more like, uh, I like that thing you did. It was like, I'm at home and I'm just thinking like, oh, okay, great. I'm, you know, how do I build on that? How do I build on just, right. yeah, that fragment. So, and then Rodney, when I was out here and there's, I've been really fortunate, man, to be on a lot of, you know, what I think is, I always said I would love to be a part of a great show as mm-hmm. opposed to just being the best part of a show. It, there's, it's when you, it's so, it's such a camaraderie thing of comics. Yeah. And even though mm-hmm. we're all kind of like, if we can all pull the crowd but make a great evening that they're never going to fucking forget, that's the ultimate win. Yeah. Well, you look at when you did Tourgasm. That, that, was, that was four completely different comics between Jay Davis, Gary Goldman, Robert Kelly, and yourself. Right. I mean, you took your friends on the road. What a great thing to do. It was that and, a you pretty stoked to get to, to be a part of. I was stoked, but that was not – well, two things. First of all, it was just, yes, I wanted to bring them on the road yeah. to – you know, make a great home movie. It was, mm-hmm. I did not have a deal with HBO at the time. I had no clue it was going to end up on HBO. That was a fluke that it ended up on HBO wow. because I recorded it for just DVD extras yeah. or something. Yeah. Or again, just for me later, mm-hmm. nobody, maybe nobody would ever see it. But I had a meeting with Chris Albrecht, who was the head of HBO at the time about my special. And when he was like, what are you up to? I was like, I'm record. I just did a documentary. He was like, Oh, let me see it. And in his office, I put in the scene of Jay Davis and uh, Robert Kelly fighting on the bus. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I remember Chris Albrecht was so nonchalant. And he's like, yeah, I, I want to I buy this. I want to air this. 
And wow. so that's how that ended up being Jesus, cut man. up and turned into a series. So we didn't know when we were making it that it was going to be. But I still brought those guys sure. for the sake of, like, yeah. sharing this thing that was happening in my career of, like, guys, these crowds are getting pretty big. Yeah. And, and I was talking to somebody the other night who said, I'd never want to play uh, 20,000 people, a comedian. And I said, why? And he said, oh, it, he just had his, his philosophy on it. Mm-hmm. I said, this is why you do want to do it at some point in your life, if you can do it. I go, because, and this is why I bring other guys to do it. Because as comics, we do a late night show, and mil- millions of people might be laughing at home. You think mm-hmm. millions of people are watching, great. Um, or you might do like uh, a theater show, and maybe like that's a couple thousand sure. people, and it's a mm-hmm. great. But it's really all we're ever looking for is like, wow, that, that um, visceral moment of like, my idea is everybody's agreeing with at once. Yeah. Like, we're all on the same page. I said, until you've stood in front of 20,000 people and heard them all go, yes, at the same time because it's funny mm-hmm. to the room, I, you do want that. It's really why we do yeah. television. It's why we do because you want to get that, that, the largest laugh possible. Yeah. And that's that's what I love to kind of sh- share with you know my my um, you know peers. It's funny to the room. That's a great way to put it. Just everybody's in agreement. It, like everybody, that many people like, at the mm-hmm. same time. Black, white, fat, skinny, fucking whoever, sluts. Uh, <laughs> hopefully they're there. Hopefully <laughs> all kind. Fat, white, skinny, <laughs> Jewish <Dweebs>. sluts, <laughs> Nimrods, <laughs> little wafers. That, that, that's that's now, such a perfect at what point moment. Yeah, yeah dude. At, at what point does do you go from uh, uh, I all right now? I want to try to translate from all this uh, stand up success and get into uh, you know movies and and do what my some Steve Martin shit. <sighs> yeah, it's like you want to do those things. Or you was hope, that not a part of your? It was always a, a hope. It was always a hope to like bring my fans into film and television. But the way it happens is actually so the opposite of what you think. It's really just directors start becoming fans. They like your stand-up. I'm sure there's guys that are seeing you now that are, in a few years, they're going to be the next guy. And mm-hmm. you'd be surprised at you know, who you're palling around with now, who might be a temp or an assistant. or, And then in a few years, you, you're, you're part of their lineage. And so when some director so-and-so sees you, mm-hmm. and you guys chat after, and then he's like, oh, man, I'm really big fan. Now he's coming up. Well, he wants to put the people that influenced him and entertained him when he was shit out of luck. You're going to get that call. So it's like wow. just by being primed up and at your best, I got calls from people who were like, you want to you come play? You want to be the lead in this thing or be mm-hmm. a part of? And so that's really the way it started to happen. I wanted it to happen, but it was so kind of like easy in terms of like, oh, all I had to do is just be good at the one thing that I you know, know how to do. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's the spread. message kind of for most comics is like, you know, because, oh, I need a TV agent. I need to, oh, I need a film guy. And how do I get into the real? It's like, no, no, no. no. You just need to spill over every night on stage mm-hmm. the best that you can. And that is going to get somebody's feet wet with your shit, man. Somebody's going to be like, you're going to be all over somebody just by being on point. And they are going to remember that when they're when they're making their project and go, yeah. oh yeah, that that guy that, that's a perfect part for for this guy. 
And I mean, I mean, not I mean just how did when when you did Heat? Well, how did that? Yeah, uh, I mean, that, uh, I mean, Allison Jones who cast it, you know, who, you know, cast The Office and Curb and just uh, lots of you know Will Ferrell comedies and and uh, super bad and shit. She just I've been going in for her for five years, and and sometimes going in for bigger parts just to get in front of these people that she was just like, I think you're right for this, but Ed Helms is going to get it. But she was like, still come in for it because you, mm-hmm. I want you to get in front of this person. And then some things I would get close on, and then little parts on The Office all the time, and then. Um, uh, but just never. But I, I got on a short list, you know. So then when when I saw this, and that's that's what I've been hearing is just like, you know, building fans in the casting community. And so I, I now I've been in for a ton of people, and now I can be on the short list, but like still and getting close, but still beating losing out to somebody who, you know, maybe just left the show and is coming over. I mean, right. all the stuff that's out of your control. But then for Heat, it was just when I saw it, I was like, oh, cool, another awesome movie that's just fucking, you know, Bonaduce is going to beat me out for. <laughs> and uh, and then I went in and ended up going in for two different parts and another different part and then um, Paul just liked what I did on tape and you know he was on came on our podcast and told me he's like I didn't do you any favors man he's like I just you know he's like sometimes it's it's tough to cast off tape he's like sometimes somebody kills it in the room and then you show it the tape and you're right. like shit they didn't I don't know what we saw there but he's like you just you know had something or whatever and and you know again it's like I still even when I saw the first thing I was just like there's you know there's no reason why I could have not got you know I just but you look and you say. But I remember walking out being like, I crushed it. Like I feel like I do, you know, I prepare and I feel like I, I leave thinking I, I should. There's no reason I shouldn't get this. But then you just, you know, you condition yourself to go, you know. But this is what's so awesome about stand up. So you've got these casting people now. You've got uh, you know crew, producers, people that you know were involved behind the scenes. You have a central place to invite all of them for a night out, and it's to come see your show. And and you've gone from comedies, but you all but you also did dramas as well. In yeah, Dan in real life, Mr. So Burns, Dan, uh, Dan real life, which mm-hmm. isn't really a drama, but like a dark comedy. But uh, which one? Uh, Dan in real life with Steve with Steve Carell, it's a dark comedy. Um, jeez, I don't know what you, what category that's under. Uh, it's it's kind of rom comedy, a slice of life, yes. right? Okay. But like, did you make a conscious decision from the beginning? Like, I'm gonna go into not just. Like I'm not just gonna do comedy movies. I'm gonna oh, yeah. try to do dramas as well. Yeah, no, I I, I love um, I, you know, I did a lot of theater. I love uh, the process mm-hmm. of getting into a role. I um, I love the homework that needs to be done. I like being a part of the the oh, the master plan for a director versus stand up, which is just solo mission. And I'm you know you're the you're the lone gunman out there, and mm-hmm. it's your ideas and your. I I love that it's completely the it's a collaborative effort. It's um, everything about it. It's fucking morning instead of night. Right. You know, you have to be there at 5 a.m. Um, right. But I, I really think that uh, when I saw Robin Williams and Goodwill Hunting, mm-hmm. that was kind of a, a, another moment for me where I was like, it's okay to say I want to do something that's uh, meaningful. I want to do yeah. something that's really moving. That's uh, And just, again, allowing yourself to not put a limitation and say, all right, if a role comes along. Now, when, I, when Mr. Brooks came along, I was doing um, a movie in Albuquerque, and I heard about Brooks, and Kevin Costner only knew me as a stand-up. He'd seen me do a couple shows. Yep. Always very um, friendly, nice. never, never buddies or anything, just friendly. By the way, that's a cool thing in itself to get to a level to where people that you've grown up watching are now like being like, hey, I'm a fan of you, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like Field of Dreams, being from Boston. Sure, dude, that's... Yeah. Uh, there's probably a slew of, of those people that are now like, you know... Yeah, a lot. You know, Suzanne Summers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did she give you a free thigh master? <laughs> um, so he, I, I put myself on tape actually for uh, Mr. Brooks. Great move. Sent it from my trailer. I was in between mm-hmm. scenes shooting Employee of the Month in Albuquerque. Sent the tape to my agent, who brought it to Costner's house personally, and was like, "You should watch this." 
and I got it off uh, tape. So it's again, like, but if he lesson. hadn't seen my stand up, he might yeah. not have. Uh, and he was like, "Oh, Dane's always you know invited us out. Really pleasant, good guy. I'll take two minutes and watch this tape." Mm-hmm. And two turns into whatever seven minute tape, and he's like, "Shit, give him the role." Shit. So wow. it really everything is about. If if any young comics are listening, just feed the oh, stand. Demo is ninety five year old woman. Feed the, <laughs> if there's any nursing homes, <laughs> put down that applesauce <laughs> with pureed meats. Um, no, yet. it really is. It's it's you don't worry so much about um, all the other you know ancillary things of like I need this person on my team. Mm-hmm. That no no. All you need to do is consistently get better and better on stage and find your voice, your fans, and all those other people will eventually come, come to you. To. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, is that's the part that you can control. You can control your stand-up. You, you can't control what these if these people see you. It's or a tough thing to grasp, though, like man, because no. especially out here in LA, I just see you know. I mean, you know, because I st- pretty much start out here only a few open mics in Seattle before I came down. But I see even young comics now, a couple years in, that are just can't grasp that like. Because just too. Con- Why is it you think people are so concerned with like I got to get on that festival thing or I got to get this because that'll let me know that I'm. Yeah, it's self validation. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a lot of yeah. It's and it's fear. If I'm not on that, what do I? What am I not going to get if I'm not on that? Um, was Dane Cook on Comedy Central doing the Monopoly bit in the tank? Is this top? another Dane Cook that we're speaking of? <laughs> yep. You're on a first name basis with every fucking person that isn't in the room. I'm sitting right here, and you call me Dane Cook to my face. First of all, it's Doctor Dane Cook, <laughs> and secondly, an honorary doctorate, you, you asshole. Weirdo. But like, <laughs> does Dane Cook enjoy honey smacks in the morning, or is he a Fruit Loop guy? Well, does he? <laughs> What is your cereal? What is your go-to cereal? That's a great question. That's Fruit Loop. I'm a Fruit Loop guy. It's, it's pretty done. much all I do. Is Fruit Loop it up? Yeah, that's it. So I'm not too. I'm, I'm not really a cereal guy, but if I'm going to do cereal, I go. I go Fruit Loop. What's your go-to snack then? Uh, well, I'm not too big on snacks or chips. Ugh, I don't know. This is this is where we hit the fucking abort button. This is like towards the end of, of Inside the Actor Studio. And James, if you got to heaven <laughs> and God said, "What's your favorite snack?" <laughs> what, would you, what would you tell him? Would you give me if a, souf- you, a Sufi? If, if you were a Girl Scout cookie, which one would you be and why? That is a great question. Thin Mint. It's got to. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy one. I don't know if it was the delivery or the fucking just like the fucking eye glaze over. Yeah, you, had, like, you had thought about that. Uh, well, Dane, uh, the fact that you are on this podcast, first of all, thank you. You, you invite us into your home. Let's talk about thank payment. Thank you for that. Oh, well, <laughs> Brad, All right, Brad. Zip. <laughs> oh, zip. Wait a second. Jesus. Uh, I just really want to ask this real quick before we wrap this up because you uh, did mention nine the- inches. Well, there you go. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yep, man. <laughs> uh, did, you mentioned your theater background and singing, and then you fucking did the producers of the Hollywood Bowl. That was pretty wild. Yeah, Mel Brooks. I just, I just uh, you got to talk about that because uh, I did. A lot I came of- from musical theater background, so the okay. fact you got to do yeah. that is. I was bananas. the song and dance man. I was doing Cole Porter plays back in high school, summer stock, all that. Anything goes. I was anything Billy goes. Parker. And- I wasn't anything goes. Were you really? Yeah, I was one of the. I wasn't a main part. I was just one of the sea captains or whatever. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah. I Great that. play. Had had to fucking learn how to tap dance. Yeah. Holy yeah. Shit. No. It was, uh, Where's was- that video? I can still tap dance. What? Yeah. You want to just show them real quick? <laughs> I can shuffle off the buffalo with the best of them. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> You don't know. My time step is I legendary. Shuffle, is that yeah, something do, from the player? Did you just make up that sound? Do me a favor. Step ball change right <laughs> under my balls. <laughs> I want that sound bite, by the way. Anytime my mom calls, I want that to ring. Susan Stroman, who was uh, directing it, you know, the uh, incredible Susan Stroman, she uh, asked me to come down. 
there she had heard from somebody that I could uh, hold a tune, and I went in with uh, all the songs that Franz uh, Liebkin in the play sings, mm-hmm. and I uh, worked on the German accent like you you know just gave it gave it everything I had, and uh, Susan was like, "I'm going to send this to Mel." So Mel Brooks took a listen, and holy then shit, I was in the, man. In the play. Mel and Brooks. he came down. He was. Uh, well, I thought wow. I was name dropping with Cherry from from fucking Punky <laughs> Brewster. <laughs> Uh, it was so amazing, when Mel though. came down, and yeah, watched. Mel was there obviously for a couple of days, and then during the curtain calls on the first and last night, came out. I got a picture with him, giving me a kiss on the cheek, and just God, dude. yeah, Mel. That that's actually been one of the, for me, one of the coolest things in my whole career has been getting to know some of these guys that, um, uh, you know, Jerry Lewis. I became good friends with over the mm-hmm. last year, and he's just been a, you know kind of like a mentor, and he's just a. He, he's one of the best, not not just because of what he accomplished in in uh, in terms of like performance, but he's just a very smart, uh, innovative yeah. uh, man. And so it's being able to meet the guys that already did it, already had all the good, all the bad, and are living consistent like creative lifestyles. Yeah, I was like, going to ask, oh, are that's they? What I want to do? Are they? Yeah. Like, is he in a place where he's just super reflective about everything, or is it like ah, those were the good old days? Like. Move on. No, it's amazing. I mean, they they can be like that, but they're also just so present. That's the thing is they're so kind of zen and Yoda about it that, um, like, uh, Jerry is doing a a drama. He's 87. He's been in the industry for 85 years. (laughs) He's insane. He's 87. Yeah. He's been in the industry. I asked him one day. He was like, how long? He goes, 85 years. It's like wow. eighty five <laughs> years. That, that's it's, that's got to be the record, right? I mean, it's something. It's, it's like I mean, it's like it's like him and Betty maybe White. Maybe George Burns before it. he passed, because I yeah. don't know how young he started. But so you talk to these guys, and what they really, you know, the, you know, Phil Stiller or people I've met yeah. over the years. What you really, even Rodney, what you just get from most of them is just don't sweat the small stuff. Everything is going to happen to you. You're gonna. People are gonna die. People are gonna steal. People are gonna fucking say you did A, B, and C when you didn't. People are gonna say you did D, E, and F, and you did. And you gotta own the shit you did. And you gotta fucking fight against, either fight against or the or don't speak to the things that aren't of you because then you're just inviting it in. And you're also like, it's the politician thing. You can't fight lies. When you do, you look like a person who lied. Right. Wow. So that's all the stuff that I've taken over the years from people that are way, way, way further along than we are and kind of make us look like we're just a ragtag bunch of kids here. Right. But it's, uh, you know, it is a marathon, not a sprint. So hopefully we're sitting here talking about this stuff in 50 fucking years from now and going like, oh, yeah. Remember we thought we knew it all back in <laughs> right. 2013. So if somebody – we will meet back at this spot in 50 years and do yes. another podcast. So if somebody gives Brad shit ideas. for saying like, oh, you didn't fucking step ball change under his fucking nuts. I guess you can't do it. He shouldn't go after them. Well, I'm then- sure Brad will have passed away by then, but <laughs> – We'll be here, Adam. Look at us. We're healthy. I got a very weak heart. (laughs) I got a very weak heart. Did all your theater experience, though, help for the Hollywood Bowl? I mean, like... Yeah, all of it. And uh, for stand-up, too, I want to ask that, because I feel like... Who said that once? Like, some some performer who... um, Oh, it just it just came to me. Um, Johnny Carson, great, great, great interview. Johnny Carson. Yeah, he told Martin this too, right? Like you, 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 you will use everything you, you use ever everything. learned. Yeah. He said that he goes, you use everything. You use the the, the games that you played when you were a little kid. You mm-hmm. use Jesus. the sadness from uh, uh, you know at a funeral. A slide, you yeah. use everything, yeah. and uh, it's really true. And by the way, that Johnny Carson interview is a must listen for any any young comics. It's uh I, I, I got to get the name. We, we could probably put it on your yeah. podcast. Yeah, sure. It's March 18th, 1967, and he sat down and did an Shit. interview with, and, and it's escaping me, but it's it's so prolific, and it's 
it's about now. He speaks about comedy and comics like we are now, but he's just using Jack Benny and other right. other names. So if you do a little bit of research, suss it out a bit, mm-hmm. you know the style of the guys and how they kind of relate to who we are. Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing uh, interview with Johnny Carson uh, talking about what it is to be. A, he talks about ego. He talks about oh, looks. He talks about um, what we talked about, like, you know, the interview is like, Johnny, does it help that the crowd finally knows who you are once Same you've established yeah. yourself? So it's just everything we're talking about, but he's he's actually much more, um, you know, kind of uh, detailed in his in his descriptions of uh, of what it is to really be uh, at at a high level, high caliber performer. I guess well, he fucking was. He, yeah, knew, he was the master. I mean, yeah. He was Johnny. Yeah. Uh, I think did he sing at the Hollywood Bowl with the producers? <laughs> no, he did not. He did not. Maybe he did. Actually, yeah, maybe that guy did a lot maybe. of shit. Yeah, he could have. He might have done Into the Woods. But yeah, all, everything, everything that I, you know, just everything from playing large crowds, everything from uh, you know singing early in my life, and then sometimes singing, you know, maybe with like Newberg or yeah. bringing guitar. Like yeah. I was prepared for that moment and uh, and went into it like I try to with most things, which is once you have the gig, there's no need to be afraid anymore. You got it. Even all that stuff is prepared to be the voice of a fucking cartoon. I mean, yeah, in a strange way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up loving Disney, loving animation. Once the Pixar movies came, Incredibles is probably in my top ten favorite movies of all time. Great film. Um, John Lasseter I've known for many, uh, many years, and it was just uh, a lucky night at the Hollywood Bowl, as a matter of fact, uh, that I went to see an evening of Pixar music. I was going to ask. I want to see oh, that so shit. bad. Yeah, is I went it, down. It's it was unreal. awesome. Yeah. It was amazing. The L.A. Philharmonic uh, <laughs> Orchestra played. And now, how did you – I mean, and you had no idea that it was going to be the voice of a plane. What if he was like – he left a message. He's like, look, Dane, I got this fucking whole story around a black dildo, <laughs> and I want you to be the voice of You're a black dildo. You're the first talking vagina <laughs> in the history of animation. <laughs> <laughs> Pixar's going you're, in a little different direction. You're, you're Clitty the talking <laughs> vagina. <laughs> wow. I, I, I think I we should end on Clitty yeah, the talking vagina. I think vagina. so, man. No, that's, man a, that's, when a, that's, <laughs> that's a high point. No, but when he, honestly, we just, you know, we finished the film and it came out this last weekend and it's doing great. We already finished a sequel. And so now to be wow. part of like. Um, a franchise. Yeah, franchise. And, and this is all I've ever, ever wanted to do. I've always wanted to be affiliated with people that I can look to and learn from. And so it doesn't feel like – I love being at the helm of my own brand and my own business, mm-hmm. but I love then kind of giving that away and being under the tutelage of sure. somebody like John yeah, Lasseter sure. where you go into a room and you go it, – it's what we talked about before. You're the new guy in the room and you just want to win. And so to go into a sound booth and be like, I got to show him what I can do. Wow. It's the old stuff that we want in our yeah. stand up. And you know what? It goes right back into the stand up. Because when I took the stage and have been, because of that experience, it, it's the same jolt. And then it all comes back and informs your persona on stage. So it just all goes back into the mix, man. You, so, you, so you feel you very fortunate everything. to get those experiences that, that put you out of your, uh, your comfort zone for a little bit, right? Yeah. Kinda... Yeah, because then it becomes being out of your comfort zone becomes the comfort zone. Wow. That's a, that's a fortune cookie yeah, thing being right there. In your comfort zone is I'm petrifying, literally mm-hmm. turning to stone. By the way, that's, I'm learning that, shit. That's and Clitty the Vagina's message, by the way. That's Clitty. <laughs> Clitty says that in the sequel. Clitty says that in the yeah. <laughs> Says that to uh, um, Peter the fucking penis shit. <laughs> that's the catchphrase. <laughs> that's what happens when you squeeze the Clitty the Vagina dolls. <laughs> Squirtly-doo! Squirtly-doo-dah! <laughs> is that the second string pull, or is that also the first time? Yeah. Every time. <laughs> 
It's work in progress. You get multiple catchphrases. Uh, Dane, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, bro. Uh, Did you have a good time? I, absolutely. Thanks, man. Thank you. I, I, get I, the fuck out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we will get the fuck out of your house. For... No, this was really great. And yeah. uh, thanks for inviting me on to the uh, About Last Night podcast. Yeah, um, dude, I mean, this is a, a We're going to do it again in 50 honor. years. 50 years. But can't Brad wait. Without Brad. But man. I'll be dead. We'll replace him with the guy from uh, Willow. We're going to pre-record <laughs> Brad's... <laughs> What's his name? Lark Voorhees? <laughs> oh, no, that's from Warwick Saved by Davis. the Bell. Warwick yeah. Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's like 40 years older than me, asshole. He'll be dead, too. Yeah. Yeah, but he knows Mad Mardigan. Oh, that's true. We can't end on Brad being dead. <laughs> we can't. Let's right. kill Adam somehow. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was really great. <laughs> Give me another Clitty catchphrase to go out on, please. Oh, <laughs> man. What else would uh, Clitty say? That's the spot. We're in a predicament. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is smelly down here. <laughs> That's what you will take from this episode. That's a cock and bull story. <laughs> Squeakily doo. Squirtily IA. Oh, God. Thank you oh. for listening. Dane, thank you for being <laughs> here. Uh, for Adam Ray, Dane Cook, I'm Brad Williams. Please try to remember our names in the morning. <laughs> Squirtily do. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to YouTube.com slash WaitForItComedy no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you Seeking the truth never gets old Introducing June's Journey the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.